Transmission incoming, over. Copy that, transmission received. Welcome back to Skinwalker Radio. My guest today is Thomas Winterton. Thomas is an employee at Skinwalker Ranch, and he has been on the History Channel show, uh, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch as well. You may have seen him if you've been watching that show. And he's here with us today to talk about Skinwalker Ranch, the history of the ranch, some of the investigations, and talk about some of the leading theories of what's really going on out there. So welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I have talked to a couple different people who've been experiencing uh, various things with the with the ranch. You know, uh, Chris Bartell, he was the first guest we've had on the show. I understand that you and him may know each other slightly. Yeah, we've I've had the privilege of meeting Chris and uh, have a high opinion of him. Yeah, no, he said the, the same of you, and he sends his regards. Uh, so he was at the Skinwalker Ranch during the Bigelow days, and he worked there for six years. And you probably are familiar with how Bigelow ran things, but at that time, you know, they spent a lot of time at the ranch, uh, either in ones or twos or completely solo, you know, and he would be out there for sometimes two weeks at a time all by himself, which is just absolutely crazy. Uh, I've never been to the ranch, you know, but I've heard all the stories and I couldn't imagine being out there by myself. I'm sure there's all kinds of creepy stuff that happens on a regular basis, uh, as you probably can attest to. So I'd love to hear, uh, from you, uh, the history of the ranch as you know it, uh, and kind of how you got started out there. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate people like Chris Bartell because, um, as, people may or may not know, when Bigelow sold the ranch to Brandon Fugel, we did not inherit any scientific data with the transfer. And so we started off with a pretty clean slate and Bigelow was very secretive, um, very closed about what they observed and monitored on the ranch. Obviously we have some of his team that have spoken out, but um, it's been interesting as we came in and, and started to observe one, the facilities that were there when we took over, which, you know, you can learn a lot about a uh, previous occupant by the way that you find things when you arrive. Um, some of the equipment that was there, the state of the facilities. And so we, we've had to rely on a lot, of, uh, a lot of times on people like Chris that were there during Bigelow era and try to piece together the puzzle of what did or did not take place. Um, but we started off with a uh, blank slate and I came to be associated with the ranch through Jim Morse. And when Brandon purchased it, he had Jim Morse, who's the ranch manager, come out to the Una Basin to try to figure out exactly what they had uh, purchased. And uh, at the time, my wife and I owned a small motel here in Roosevelt. It was an upscale uh, boutique hotel. And uh, Jim happened to stay with us on his trip out and I got to visiting with him on check-in and then the following day when I checked him out and uh, I'm a general contractor here in the state of Utah. And so when Jim got visiting with me and, and found out that I was a licensed contractor, he asked me if I would come out and do an inspection of the facilities. And, uh, and so I did. And one thing led to another and, and Brandon reached out to me uh, Jim actually took me out to Brandon's office and we had a 
pretty fairly uh, a fairly long meeting, um, pretty in depth meeting where Brandon shared um, a lot about why he bought the ranch and, and what his vision was moving forward. And uh, he asked me if I would stay on as superintendent and oversee all of the operations that take place on the ranch. And I've been there ever since. No, that that's pretty cool. Uh, not everybody looks into into a job as interesting as that. I mean, I'm sure there's probably times where you've maybe had second guesses, but uh, you're never going to be bored, probably. Yeah, uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. That's for sure. Um, and part of the reason for that was when he offered. Uh, I was uh, born and raised here in the basin, and during my time in high school was kind of the peak of the Bigelow era when all the crazy things were happening. And so there was a lot in the newspapers and a lot of rumors going around town. And uh, it, it led to uh, this very mysterious place that none of us were allowed to go on. So when Jim offered me the opportunity to go out there and do an inspection for them, I uh, readily jumped on it just for the, you know, I guess for the prestige of being able to go on to the secretive ranch uh, where nobody else was allowed to go. And, and also, you know, uh, Brandon is a very well known, very successful businessman here in the state and actually in the whole Intermountain West for that matter. And so the opportunity to be associated with people like him was uh, appealing as well. When I went out to the ranch, I didn't believe uh, in paranormal activity. I'd heard the stories and the rumors but uh, to be honest, I didn't know how much I really believed in them. I do believe in UFOs just because like a drone would have been a UFO 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, today it's not a big deal. So when I see, when I see a uh, craft in the sky and that, uh, for me, I don't, uh, it's not as big of a deal. But the paranormal side of things, I, I really called BS on. And so going out to the ranch, I'd never watched any of the movies, never read any of the books. I, all I knew about the ranch was the rumors and things that I'd heard around town. And, uh, and so I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. And here it is four years later. And, um, you know, I can say my world's been, uh, it's a much different place today when I wake up than it was four years ago. Yeah, I can only imagine. So you grew up in that vicinity then. So in the nineties, when all of this stuff was kind of starting, was that a big deal at the time or was that kind of uh, just a little news blurbs here and there? Were people talking about that on a regular basis? Yeah, it was actually, um, it was very talked about. And uh, I remember hearing a lot of different stories as you go around town and especially when Bigelow came in, because when Bigelow came in, the stories around town was that it was the government that had come in and, there was black secret op trailers that were parked out there at the ranch and it was all shut down and the government was doing ex secret experiments. I mean, there was all kinds of rumors and the basin's a small rural uh, area and uh, it doesn't take long for rumors to one spread and two to uh, uh, dramatize, you know, dramatically increase in their scope. So um, it would, yeah, the, ba the ranch has been famous in the basin for quite some time. That's yeah, I was curious about that, you know, because they say that the whole entire basin is kind of like that. So the things that happen at Skinwalker Ranch are not really confined within the, the fenced in perimeters of the ranch. 
and that the, some of those kind of things are happening all over. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, r really, there is a lot of strange things that take place here in the Inua Basin. Um, I think really the last little bit I've, I've started to look out and I think that maybe growing up here, um, you know, you don't know any different. Uh, you don't realize just how strange things are until you start thinking, well, wait, that doesn't happen other places. That's, that's not normal. Um, there are a lot of very, very strange things that take place here in the Unibasin, a wide scope of uh, even subjects. Um, so whether it's UFOs or paranormal activity, the, the Lost Roads gold mines that are supposedly here in the basin somewhere that hold a lot of Spanish gold that people have been searching for forever. There's, there's a lot of mysterious things here in the basin. And uh, the ranch does seem to be the epicenter of this. Uh, for whatever reason, there seems to be a higher concentration of activity there, but it is definitely basin-wide. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, how many Indian reservations are in that area? There's a couple, right? Well, so we have the Ute Tribe Reservation here in the Una Basin. Um, and the Ute Tribe Reservation is actually made up of three different Ute bands that were brought together when they created the reservation. So, um, and growing up here, you think I'd, I always get these wrong, but you have the Uinta River Band, the Uncompadre Band, and the Uncompadre and the I forget the third one. I, I know it, but I just, my mind goes blank. But you have three different bands of Ute tribe that were brought together under, under one tribe, which is the Ute tribe here. So we really just have the one tribe. And, and the history of the ranch goes back to when the Navajos were in the area. And, uh, you know, the stories that, the history that we've been told uh, from many different sources, um, even from some of the natives themselves, is that, um, the Navajos and the Utes were trading partners and, and were relatively peaceful for a while. And then the tension started to grow between them. And when the US government sent out the soldiers back in like the 1860s to uh, be here when the settlers were settling the land and to protect them, the, tri the Ute tribe kind of joined forces with the, with the soldiers and drove the Navajos out. And as retribution, the shaman of the Navajo tribes uh, conjured up this curse of the skinwalker on this specific piece of ground uh, as, you know, kind of retaliation for being pushed off of the, the reservation. Yeah, I've, I've heard that story. And I wonder how much of the Native American lore plays into what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, you know, I was, I was talking with an individual about that today. Um, they were asking what my opinions were on, what my theories were on what was taking place out of the ranch. And I told them, you know, when it comes to scientific theories, you could come up with a hypothesis, a theory of what could be going on. And the problem with the ranch is, is you, you form this theory and you think, okay, well, that specific theory would take care of this specific incident and that specific incident and this one, but then I've got these other boxes over here that I can't check off. There's such a wide range of anomalies that take place. We really run the entire gamut of, of anomalies, whether it's UFOs or skinwalkers, um, you know, the orbs, the cattle mutilations, and just such a wide range that, to be honest, I, 
I think that the culture, you know, the, the Native American heritage, that this curse, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised a bit if it absolutely does have something to do with it. Maybe it's a perfect storm of geography and, and this curse and, and other things that have just kind of converged onto this one piece of land. Um, but it, it definitely covers a wide range of uh, phenomena. And, you know, I, I think it's got to play into it. Yeah, no, it, it probably, you're probably right. It's probably not one big smoking gun. It might be a bunch of little things that just kind of all come together and, and brew this weird soup that is Skinwalker Ranch phenomenon. Have you guys found any interesting artifacts out there, like, uh, like Indian remains or uh, remnants of pottery, arrowheads, anything like that that might make you think that like Indians were active in that area at one point in time? Yeah, so, you know, the whole Uinta Basin is rich with uh, artifacts, because not only do you have, not only do you have the Ute tribe, and then a little further back, the Navajo tribe in the area, but then you go back a little bit further, and you have the Fremont um, civilization that was here, and just, uh, you know, I'm not sure on the exact distance, 20, 30 miles to the west of the ranch, and probably only about 20 miles from the ranch, is Nine Mile Canyon. And Nine Mile Canyon is just a treasure trove of, uh, it, it's got the famous petroglyphs called The Hunt that's been featured on National Geographic magazine a couple of times. A lot of remains and artifacts down there. So as far as the ranch itself, yes, we have found some. Um, I don't think we found anything that's specific to the ranch per se. Uh, you know, what we're finding is pretty consistent with what you find all across the entire basin. And then as far as remains, um, that's probably been one of the biggest things that we've tried to be sensitive to as we undergo this investigation. You know, we have this, this um, legend that was handed, uh, legend or, or, apologies, my mind's gone blank, but we get this paradigm that's handed to us from the Bigelow era of don't dig on the ranch. And that actually predates the Bigelow era and goes clear back to the, um, I mean, we have good sources that source it back to the Myers who owned it before the Shermans, who were adamant that there was to be no digging on the ranch and actually recorded it in the deeds there with the county. Um, and so there's always been this question, question of why can't we dig? You know, what, what is it about digging that is so taboo? And one of the things that we had to consider was maybe there's human burial somewhere on the ranch. And that was where this got handed down. And so uh, it's one of the reasons that we want to be very cautious when we are digging. Um, before we dig, we want to make sure that we've done our very best to make sure that we're not digging up some type of you know, ancient burial ground or, or human remains. No, I mean, that's fair. You know, I mean, those were, those were people and, you know, you want to be respectful of that stuff where you can. So, you know, I've seen the show and the, you know, the, the history channel show talks about things like do not dig and, you know, some of the bad things that happen. We've all heard the urban legends, uh, you know, that time when the Shermans were digging uh, post holes you know, with their heavy duty post hole digger and mm -hmm. then they went to lunch and then they came back and then the thing was in a tree. Uh, so there does seem to be some consensus that digging usually results in some kind of weird behavior. Have you guys witnessed any specific 
correlation with digging that you can say absolutely that urban legend of do not dig is legit? I think if I have one regret about my time on the ranch, it's that I came on with this attitude that it was all BS. And because of that, uh, I think I missed an opportunity here to aid in the science when it comes to this legend of do not dig. Because, um, you know, without specific log, if I had kept a log of every time that I climbed in my equipment and dug a hole or, or moved the earth or disturbed the ground and then kept track of what took place afterwards, then that would be real data, you know, as it is because I didn't keep that log, everything's anecdotal now. And all I can say is that um, I, I did, I did pretty much all the digging on the ranch since Brandon has taken over. That's that falls under my responsibilities. And I will say that the, the more extensive digging I did, it seemed like without fail. And I mean, without fail, something happened to either myself or the equipment. Um, I'd end up getting sick and be down in bed for four or five days, which, you know, the, <laughs> the show shows me, obviously I had my, tra my traumatic head injury in 2017. And then I've had some minor reoccurrences since then. But overall, even when I was in the hospital uh, with my head injury, you know, the doctors kept saying, you're the healthiest sick person we've ever met in our, our life. I had dozens and dozens, uh, almost four dozen tests run on me and, and everything came back spot on perfect. When I go in for my health insurance, I am like select. So I'm, I'm actually not a sickly person that gets sick a lot. I'm, I rarely ever get sick. I'm very healthy. Um, I'm in good, I'm in outstanding health. And, uh, and so for me to, to be out there digging and then out of the blue, not, not with the flu, not, it's like you get zapped. It's like, uh, all the strength has been taken from you. You can't even climb out of bed and it's not that you're necessarily sick. It's just the best way to describe it. It's like you've had the life sucked out of you. And, uh, so that's happened to me many times. There's been some times like, when I was uh, installing some infrastructure on some cameras, um, I, I went and got a trench. So I had a fairly large trencher on my skid steer that I was using to trench that we could, so that we could install conduit and, and power and um, internet lines to our cameras. And I'm, I'm trenching in an area, one, I'd already driven over this entire area with my skid steer. I, I'd taken and scrubbed the ground beforehand and um, I'd, dri I'd already driven on it. It was dry. We hadn't had water on it. And uh, I'm, I'm trenching this area out in the field and halfway there, my skits. And I literally buried it down. I, I think, I mean, I had the mud up into the cab, so it was probably down four to five feet deep. And with the trencher, I was able to reach down another seven feet and I never found the bottom of it. So I don't know if there was a spring there or what, but uh, it took me several weeks to get that skid steer out of that hole. Um, it was a nightmare. So what should have been an afternoon job ended up taking me almost a month to complete to get those cables. And that's just par for courses. Seems like every time, you know, uh, my skid steer was a great piece of equipment. I mean like 200 hours, which is almost brand new. It's a, it's a $40,000 machine. And literally 
two years on the ranch, just from the things that have happened to it from the ranch. Uh, last fall, we had an incident where the canal breached. I went over and scooped some dirt off of, out of the clay hill there of the mesa to hurry and, and, and uh, fix it. I was pretty much all done. I was just backing up to leave and the whole bank gave way. The skid steer went in the canal and water went in, the motors totaled, the, the skid steer ruined. Now, maybe, you know, that stuff happens. I'm not claiming that's paranormal, but I'm just saying, I wish if, if I had it logged every single incident that had taken place, um, we, you know, it, it would be a telling story. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the in injuries and the health stuff. One of the things that really stands out with the Bigelow days is that when he was there, he required all of his guards, I think there were 12 of them, to undergo medical testing. Uh, and it's kind of unusual because he called it, quote unquote, pre-employment medical testing, but this was done years after they were employed. Um, and so one of the most notable things is Chris Bartell, right? He was sent to have an MRI done. So they, I think he, they flew him to Reno, Nevada. Somebody picks him up. Uh, he has an MRI done and then, you know, he goes back to work and doesn't ever really get the results, doesn't ever really get told why. So it's interesting that you have had some medical things going on and you're a pretty healthy guy, you know, because obviously all those security guys are pretty healthy too. Otherwise they wouldn't really be there. Uh, so, and I just wonder what's the correlation and uh, what was Bigelow looking for? And do you think that he had any information or do you think he was just throwing darts? Well, I, I, I want to be very careful here because I, you know, I've heard, I've seen some of the comments out there on Facebook and, and social media, and I've heard some of the, the allegations that are being made. And, and like I said, I have, I have respect for Chris Bartell. I've never met the other guard, Chris Marks, but I, you know, Chris Bartell, I, I spent some time with him. I feel like he's a solid dude. Um, so but, but allegations of, of secret weapons testing and that, that's serious. So I want to be very careful about going there. Look, I, you know, we've had discussions about this even before any of that came up. Um, when it comes to the ranch, we, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And after my injury, Brandon thought, you know what? It is a good idea for any of our people on the ranch to go get a physical, to get these scans as a baseline. Because we, you know, one of the things is, is what if, you know, if, if you have a craft come down and you witness a spaceship or, or some type of UFO, or you encounter some type of paranormal phenomena, it would be great to have a baseline to say, did that affect me physi physiologically at all? Did it change me? If you didn't have those scans beforehand, what do you have to compare? You, you have no idea whether it affected you physically or not. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in, um, in having those tests done. And just like we had to learn the hard way with me. Now, fortunately, I had actually had MRIs done for, <clears throat> um, for another circumstance years earlier. So they actually had a brain scan on me beforehand when I was healthy and then one after to compare to. But just like we learned, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's very possible that something was brought to Bigelow's attention that could have that could have been the same as us and thought, man, you know, I, I ought to have these guys go get this looked at so that we have a baseline. 
the only thing I'll say is I don't know why it had to be that specific, specific doctor in Reno. I know for a fact there's plenty of places in Las Vegas, plenty of places in Salt Lake, uh, which, you know, they landed in Salt Lake to, to drive out to the ranch when they flew in uh, or, or if they drove up. So <clears throat> why Reno? That, that, I'd say out of the whole thing, that, that is a little bit, I think there needs to be an explanation as to why that doctor needed to be the one to do the test. But, you know, I also know too that when you get in these circles with these individuals like the Mr. Biglows and the Brandon Fiegels, you know, uh, everything comes down to relationships. And so if they got a guy they trust, you know, it doesn't really matter if he's in Delaware, they'll, they'll go to the guy that they trust. So it could be something, but I think there, there could also just be a very innocent explanation for it as well. It's hard to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I'm, I'm not throwing out any, any theories or any accusations. Uh, I'm just noting the correlation between health effects and, and the ranch, um, you know, before your time and during your time. And it's interesting because there does seem to be some weirdness out there for some reason that, that may trigger something. You know, I don't know, maybe if it's already in someone's DNA and it just needs switched on or if it's something that's brand new. And that's, it's kind of a mystery, but it is, it does seem very strange. And, and you're right. Like I, I can say during our time, I can't speak to Bigelow's time. Although, you know, I do know of one significant, very um, traumatic injury that happened during the Bigelow time. Um, but during our time, um, we have seen a number of injuries, unexplained injuries that have taken place um, immediately following a visit to the ranch. Um, and these are injuries that have resulted in hospitalizations, um, some pretty severe health effects. So there is, I, I would say that there's enough of a, um, I think there's enough data there to say that most likely there is some correlation between these injuries and their time on the ranch. Yeah, no, it, it definitely seems to be there, even if it's uh, anecdotal, you know, it's, it's so hard to prove. And how could you prove something like that? I mean, uh, it would take a team of Harvard doctors a year to set up a double blind study out there to, to really say that for sure. You know, once you cross that property yeah. of the ranch and then something happens. Yeah, you know, we, we, are, we are getting to the point now, uh, the, the, the watches that Brandon brought out to us after my little reoccurrence actually proved to be pretty useful. Um, they monitor a number of things. And then we had some of our monitors, like you saw in the recent episode with Travis, you know, his, we had two monitors there that both uh, recorded high levels of radiation. And then, uh, you know, his doctor did confirm that those were radiation burns on him. And uh, it's, not the, it's not the only incident. So, those ones, I think that it's pretty, I, I think we have pretty good data to say that that did occur right there on the ranch. We had the monitors that recorded the high levels, the burns that show up within just, you know, hours or, or the next day. Um, so those ones, uh, Travis hadn't been anywhere else. So from the time that that went off to the time his burns appeared, he hadn't gone anywhere. So it had to have taken place on the ranch. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it, it's hard to deny anything else. It really is because, um, you know, what else could it be? Yeah. And there's so many little things like that that just make it really hard to just discredit it all. I had a, a well-known skeptic on the show just because in this line of work, you know, when you're, when you're in these circles, and I'm sure you know probably even better than I do, uh, you know, you get somewhat of an echo chamber and people have their opinions and, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to be right because they don't have data. They want to be agreed with. Uh, so in the effort of trying to remain objective, I had uh, Mick West on, you know, and he's been on the Joe Rogan program. He is a well-known skeptic and debunker. That's kind of his, his thing, uh, just to see what he had to say, uh, you know, and, and he had some, some interesting points, but, you know, I gotta say, even though I don't always agree with him, he was a very agreeable person. He wasn't a jerk at all, which I greatly appreciate. But his whole thing was, you know, there, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. Well, <laughs> that might technically be true because we don't have a, a smoking gun, right? We don't have uh, A plus B equals C and we have it tested. There's no other way to do it. And it's repeatable uh, like you might do in a laboratory. But what we have is just a million little things that suggest that something's happening and we just don't know what it is. Yeah. The, the tough thing about the ranch is that every single thing that we have observed has proven to be transient. And even the radiation, I mean, that exact spot where Travis lifted that lid off that cistern, I mean, one of the concerns coming on with the network guys was, is this place safe to bring on a crew, a film crew? We can't have people out there, if, you know, there's some type of nuclear waste buried on there, or, you know, and so before the network even came on, uh, and even on our own, we've, we've had that ranch scanned for radiation, for harmful uh, chemicals and, and VOCs. We've, we've done it, and we've gotten a clean bill of health. And at that exact spot that Travis, that those dosimeter, dos, dosimeters uh, went off, that, that spot had been scanned like, uh, not even very many days before that, we'd been in that exact spot with some very specialized and very expensive high-tech equipment. We got a clean bill of health, and and then that happens to Travis. And you know, as far as evidence, it's it's tough. You know, my my trampoline blew across the road here a couple of years ago onto the neighbor's fence, and by the time I got home, the wind had quit blowing. But the evidence was the trampoline was folded in half across the street. So even though yeah. the wind wasn't blowing something moved the trampoline and in this case you know we we have the trampoline folded over the fence and we didn't happen to catch the wind but you know i'm always curious when people say they want evidence uh what exactly they're looking for right like um and i've noticed everybody has a different base there's really not any uh, standardized uh and i'm it's the end of the week my brain is a uh, <laughs> Right, but uh, um, you know, there's no standards. I'd say universal standards that everybody's going by. So it's kind of a moving measuring stick. And uh, but I always do appreciate. I think it's the skepticism that really makes us stand back and say, "Well, what about that? Like, did we did we take that into consideration?" And even in some of the things I've thrown out on Twitter, um, some of the things that have happened in my house and that. I've appreciated the skeptical people that have said, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Because some of it I didn't think about. And um, 
I've actually learned more it still doesn't explain it, but I actually understand what happened better. So I, I think it's definitely needed. I appreciate people like him as long as it's respectful. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. You know, uh, it, it's, it's one thing to, to just disagree, but it's another thing to disagree and uh, be disagreeable. Uh, you know, so right. we, we can have disagreements and still have civil conversations and, and that is, largely lost uh if you want to talk about skinwalker rancher ufos <laughs> so yeah uh it was refreshing to talk to him but yeah to your point i also wonder how much evidence is enough i think a lot of times people have made up their minds and i'm not sure that you can convince them of anything other than what they already think uh yeah. how much would be enough i don't know well and i think maybe there's a confusion here too um, there's the evidence that something's happening and then the evidence of what it is. So we have very strong evidence that something's happening. I think we have very weak evidence about what is causing it. No, that's, that's completely fair. You know, and I, I don't think anybody could fault you for that whatsoever. You know, when people talk about the show, uh, sometimes they, they criticize the show, but you're trying to boil down, I don't know how many, how four months, right. Of, of filming into a couple of episodes. You can't show everything. You can't talk about everything. Uh, you have to give people information enough to keep them interested, but you know, you can't sit there and spend four hours to explain the backstory of how you, you came to that information. There just isn't enough time. Uh, some things are just gonna get lost. Yeah, that's, it's been, it's been fun watching First of all, hats off to Prometheus. I, th I think they've done a wonderful job with putting this together in a way that's watchable. Um, I, think, I think this is actually extremely challenging, both for us and for the production company, because when you're trying to, when you're trying to um, produce a science show, there's so many things that go into that. And I, I watch some of these uh, individuals that have criticisms of the show on the science and they're, you know, they're saying, oh, science is dead as we know it. Well, what they don't understand is that for every minute that's on television, there was many, many minutes, if not hours that were filmed to get that one minute. And a, an example of that is, you know, one of the things that we've, we've been seeing substantial amounts of is these heart, these, unusual IRF readings that we get. Well, our camera, you know, the cameras put off the RF, the, the communications, microphones that we're wearing put off RF. And so when we see these spikes, uh, one of the things that we have to do for the integrity of the science is you, you have to eliminate all the known sources. You know, is it coming from the Wi-Fi router? Is it coming from the cameras? Is it coming from the microphones? And so that stuff has to be taken down offline, turned off to, so that we can get and see what's causing this. And obviously when that stuff's down, that we're not capturing that on camera. And so, um, or we'll have instances where we were doing the science. Uh, a good example is like when we were trying to do the triangulation with those RF meters and the, the tin cans. Uh, I love Travis because this guy just, improvises on the fly he uses what's around we we're out in the middle of nowhere out here on the ranch there's not a you know it's not like there's a radio shack we just run down and pick up the latest greatest meter um and so travis we all just use what we have we have these cans 
And to, to do it properly, the meter needs to be inside the can to block the angle from coming anywhere but the front. The problem is, is when we're out there doing that, it's very hard for the cameras to get an angle and be able to tell what we're doing. And so at some points you do bring them out a little bit so that the camera can get a good angle and the public can see what it is that the public got the idea, but then you get these serious scientists out there that are watching. They're like, you're not even using those properly. Yeah, yeah. We, we did, we did, but for, for the show purposes, at one point we did pull them out and we were using it so because it, it provided a better angle. So it's like trying to, it's trying to provide a good, uh, a sexy, uh camera shot right but uh, preserving the integrity of the science and so sometimes they're very hard to accomplish both and you have to do one and then do the other and guess which one's making it into the show it's going to be the sexy you know the sexy shots so right you know every i think most reasonable people understand that it's a television show and there's no point in having a television show that isn't going to be watchable right so uh otherwise why even bother you know? Yeah, well, trust me, you get those three scientists, like, you know, the cameras go down, we're just, we're in the command center, just, uh, you know, uh, chilling after the day, and they get talking, I can, there'd be very few people that could follow, like, you know, I know Bryant and I sometimes are just sitting there and thinking, holy smokes, are they speaking a different language, because it go deep so fast, and it, it wouldn't be a watchable product, I can assure you. Yeah, well, it would it would be a very a select circle of people that would love to sit in on that nerd conversation. I oh, would absolutely. probably watch that. I don't know that I would fully understand, but I, I would probably find it pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, TV shows are are what they are. Like we know that it's. I don't think anybody who reason can reasonably expect you know the truth to be revealed on History Channel. It just doesn't work like that. Um, if there was something that was going to be brown, groundbreaking, earth-shattering, it would have been released before the show. Uh, it just would have, um, you know. So you got Maybe. you guys. Oh, okay. You're dropping dropping hints on me. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe you guys got something up your sleeve. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it's television after all. So. Yeah. If you saw the non-disclosures they make us sign, I mean, we basically have to sign away our firstborn to that. You know, if we, if we say something, we're going to get in a lot of trouble. So. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna press you on, press you on that. You know, if uh, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, and we'll hear about it eventually. But yeah, there, uh, there could be any number of things out there, and I hope you guys find something revolutionary. I really do, because uh, a lot of people are interested in this, and there's a lot of questions that need to be, to be answered. You know, if you're coming down with random scalp separating injuries, and if uh, other people have, you know, come down with uh, various medical things in the previous years, you know, I, I want every single one of those people to get answers. Uh, I really do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want that answer to be right, though. I don't want it to just be another theory. I want the I want the truth. Yeah. Well, you know, our, uh, our lead, our principal investigator, Eric Bard, I, he made a comment. I love, I love his viewpoints on things. Uh, but he, he just said, look, um, if my investigation assists others in their investigation, then it was successful. And so he's, he's just saying, you know, if we can find even just something that aids somebody else in what they're researching, then, then it's been a success. And, and that's really what he, we want to be very transparent and, uh, and we're not here to, 
pull the wool over anybody's eyes. No, no, I mean, that's, that's noble. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, to not want to take all the credit and just be willing to get out there for the truth. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. So I want to shift gears a little bit away from the show and kind of talk about some specific paranormal type stuff that, uh, that goes on at the ranch and kind of get your opinions on, on some of those kind of things. Sure. So the number one thing that people are interested in, I think, is the actual Skinwalker, right? It's called Skinwalker Ranch. So mm-hmm. you're familiar with the legend. So Skinwalker yep. is a... I'll let you describe what a Skinwalker is because I think you're probably in a better position to, to give a description of a Skinwalker. Well, uh, a, a Skinwalker um, is, you know, when the shaman put the curse of the Skinwalker... It was a demonic being that could take the skin or the form of, of many different animals, a form of a human. So the most common one that's shown out there in public is, is a man that can transform into a wolf. But these demonic beings can take the form uh, or take the skin, so to speak. That's why they call skinwalkers. Of, of many different things. It's been said they'd be coyotes or crows, um, owls, um, wolves being a common one again, and, uh, and that they can transform. And I think out of all the paranormal, this was the one that I've had the hardest time with when I came out on the ranch, was this idea of this being that could be a wolf or be a man or a coyote or, you know, shit. But, uh, I have to say that I've talked to enough people that I find credible. Um, and even just recently um, coming across some individuals that have had some pretty scary um, attacks on, on the ranch that I, I'm going to say that my mind's gone from completely skeptical on it to at least open and, uh, and, and, for me, that that's taken quite a bit of uh, quite a few different stories from individuals that I trust and, and put a lot of stock into um, having experiences with this shapeshifter. Yeah, I'm with you. I obviously am not out at the ranch, so I'm not in a position to see one for myself. But I have talked to a couple people who tell a similar story. You know, people who don't know each other, people who one person who's had experience at the ranch, one person who is a Native American who lives in the area, uh, and he was a member of the tribe, um, and he told me an interesting story one time, and they tell us very similar stories, and it's, it's, it's a thing that is long established, and it's, uh, it's kind of an unspoken thing from what I gather. Um, not a whole lot of people talk about it in, in, the, in the area, um, but there have been multiple sightings of people out walking around seeing tracks of wolves and following following those tracks and then those tracks turn into human footprints and then maybe disappear or maybe turn back into wolf prints uh and that's that's a pretty crazy thing to to claim yeah and you you start hearing about specific you know the shermans had an experience with with that dire wolf that came in they and uh, i'll just say the shermans they're credible people uh they're not some far out there whack jobs they're they're very well liked in the community they're quiet i mean they to this day you don't see them out there doing interviews you don't see them out there doing movie deals or book deals they 
they've largely wanted to put that chapter behind them. And, and so you have these individuals that are credible, they're solid, they're not seeking fame, they're not seeking money. Really, all they've gotten from it is headaches and criticism and, and negativity. There was no upside to them reporting these things. And so you, and, and I've had an incident just this past week um, I was unaware of, and I actually ran across a law enforcement uh, officer in the area. I didn't know this gentleman, but um, the skinwalker came up, and I kind of made a half, you know, I, I kind of made a little bit of a mocking joke about it. And uh, he looked at me very seriously. He was not amused and, and shared some, an experience with me that had happened not too long ago. And I could see in his eyes and by his mannerisms that it wasn't a joke to him. And, and uh, that was right down there in Fort Duchesne. And, and so, uh, you know, like I say, I'm open-minded. Yeah. And, you know, as am I, you know, I, I can't say it's, uh, it's not real. I, I have no proof that it is real, but I have enough reason to believe that, you know, there, there's something going on. Uh, I just don't know what it is. So on that note, uh, there are other things that are common at the ranch. So the skinwalker is obviously number one. Um, the stories go that there are orbs that fly around in the Sherman days and zap dogs. Uh, have you seen anything similar to that that makes you think that that story is real? Um, actually... This is, this is another thing that within the last six months, my view has changed. Um, so yes, I do believe it's real. Um, right now, I'm not at liberty to, uh, there's been some incidents that have happened on the ranch in the last recent while that has uh, changed my mind on this. And right now we're still, you know, they're still, we're still trying to review things. So I'm not at liberty to speak, but I will say that yeah, I, I actually am, I think I'm a believer now of the orbs and, uh, you know, I, I, an orb, see my mind's so scientific. My mind's like, well, how would that work? And so I'm like, well, if an orb is that high intensive energy and it happened to come into contact with the dog, maybe, maybe we got some sure. uh, yeah. spontaneous combustions going on right there. But, uh, I, yeah. Okay. No, fair enough. So you mentioned UFOs earlier. You know, we saw that thing on the show that, uh, I mean, you can call it a UFO because you saw it and you don't know what it is. You know, we saw it and uh, we can't tell what it is on the video. Uh, so have there been many UFOs and do you think that there's plausible explanations for them? Um, so, yes, I, I will just say in the last 12 months, I personally myself have seen a lot of sightings. Um, plausible there again you know I just go to the fact that 10 years ago a drone would have been a UFO and we would have been freaking out about it and and so now I see these and I'm like you know I can only imagine how advanced the drone technology is inside the intelligence community inside the defense community so my mind just goes back to, yeah, it's probably plausible that it's just some type of experimental aircraft we don't know about. Um, I will say that 
uh, with the with the other data that we're gathering on the ranch. You know, episode five, we're, we were able to show some of the signals that Travis was picking up in his trailer on the on the spectrum. I'll say that those have been. Uh, we have multiple, multiple devices on the ranch that are monitoring that same stuff. And we're seeing the same thing across all of them. So we know it's not equipment. It's not uh, what we're seeing is, and, and those are things that are hard to explain with the technology that we have today. And, you know, Travis, uh, Travis has a top, uh, top secret security clearance. He's heavily involved with the, with the army and their space and missile defense systems. And, you know, he, he, he's a civilian contractor that works there with them. For Travis to be surprised about what we're seeing, I'm, I'm of the mind that it's probably something that's beyond what we're seeing, what we're recording out there is something he's not aware of. And so if it is intelligence, I, I guess what I'm saying is that if it was governmental, I would expect him to have at least known about it with his security clearance and the sectors that he works in. I, I wouldn't expect to see him so surprised as he is. He, he is actually stunned at some of the things we're seeing and uh, adamant that we don't have the technology to replicate some of what we're seeing. So you know, that kind of takes the plausible and throws it out the window. But as far as the UFO and the craft right now, my mind just assigns it to that's uh, some experimental craft that we just haven't been made aware of yet. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. You know, uh, there are two different ways to think of UFOs. You can think of UFOs exactly how you mentioned. It's a it's a craft, uh, and we just don't know what it is. Or some people instantly go aliens. Uh, I I don't personally do that because then again, like I don't have any proof of aliens. I do have lots of proof of the government having really top secret stuff that they've tested for 20 years before releasing nobody really knew about the 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 f-117 before it flew off in 1991 to go bomb saddam hussein um you know we have proven that we can do a very good job of developing aircraft in secret and not letting anybody know about it until the day we're ready to let people know about it um so that doubles my questions okay so why do we know about them if they're flying around at the same time so i don't know I just don't know. Part of me thinks that some of the weird stuff going on at the ranch uh, is Bigelow keeping an eye on things, you know, because that's what he does. He has a, uh, a company where he develops some of that kind of technology for the government, uh, spacecraft and, and defense craft. Uh, so it's entirely possible that it's his own personal stuff that he's out there just testing. Uh, it's on the radar of possibilities, at least. I will say that uh, after taking over the ranch, I, I have seen enough evidence to suggest that uh, I'm, I think there's a good chance that he's kept close tabs on what's going on there. And like you say, he has helped put some of that up. Um, I believe he does have his own satellite up there. And, uh, and so that, yeah, that's very possible. I will say that, you know, in the UFO space, the, the craft that I've seen in the last 12 months, they, do, they maneuver in a way that, that we do not know about yet. So they, they do not maneuver like a drone. They do not maneuver like a helicopter or a jet. They, their maneuverability is way beyond any of those flying craft that I'm aware of today. 
So like I say, I'm sure that they've taken the drone technology and it's way more advanced than what we are aware of. So it's very possible, but with what we have been made aware of today, the maneuverability of these craft that I have personally witnessed myself uh, is, is beyond what, what is known. No, that's fair. You know, when you guys were doing the triangulation, uh, when you guys were at the, uh, the corners of the ranch and you guys say, okay, there's something 5,700 feet up in the atmosphere, my mind instantly goes to satellite. Uh, you know, because when you're triangulating and you converge at a spot in the air, well, that tells me that there's something up there beaming something down. And what does that sound like? That sounds exactly like a satellite, right? So uh, I don't know if that's true but that's just where my mind goes. Yeah, well, and, and the balloon that we put up, uh, it was fascinating. There was a westerly breeze that was blowing pretty good. Matter of fact, when we were putting them up, I made the comment, I don't think it made it on film, but I was telling the guys that I hoped we could at least get up to elevation before it hit Colorado because the wind was, the breeze was blowing pretty stiffly to the west. And I, one of the remarkable things for me was when we let that last balloon go that was untethered and just let it go, um, it, it started off towards the west, but I guess the winds aloft grabbed it and it went literally right up through that. I mean, we couldn't have placed it any better as far as this triangulation point that we had figured out. It went right through it. And then coincidentally enough, when it passes through that is the last time that we received a uh, uh, ping from the gps beacon and this is one that matt had said he he's like these things are robust and i've never had one malfunction and then here we go i mean there was no severe weather or anything and at 50 you know right there at 5700 feet the thing blacks out never to be heard from again so hmm. interesting uh, yeah yeah interesting. flew a little too close to the sun huh yeah apparently <laughs> So another interesting thing that has been talked about is that, uh, <clears throat> you know, on the, on the, the paranormal route, you know, some people say that there's ghosts, uh, poltergeists and shadow man and things of that nature. Do you have any opinions on that kind of stuff? Uh, yes, yes, uh, yes. I, so I have seen shadow figures over at the homestead um, I, multiple times. Uh Poltergeist. Now, this is interesting. I mean, you have lots of stories from the Sherman era about poltergeist activity. Um, the thing that drives me mad at the ranch is literally I have hundreds, if not thousands, of experiences, and 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 it's simple things like that that drive you crazy, where you come in and you swear that you put this tool down over there and and it's moved um or or you go in and things have been rearranged but it's not enough like you look at it and you're like i swear that wasn't like that yesterday um and and little things that happen all the time um and and then we saw this during the filming too i, I was happy that the crew got to see it there are so many like things that happen that could be written off as a simple coincidence but at some point you're like well that's the 200th coincidence we've had today you know and it's the number of coincidences we're seeing a coincidence because it's 
sorry. I, I'm sorry. I apologize for the background noise if you're getting a lot of it. Sorry. Right. Um, but uh, there are a lot of that. And I would say that if that is real, then there's your poltergeist activity. And uh, it happens to be just stuff that, you know, drives you crazy because you, you really do feel like you're going crazy because you're like, I swear I left the pen on the table and I come in and it's not there and you find it in on the desk in the control room. Stupid things like that. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, and that jives with, you know, a lot of the stories people have, have told since the Sherman days. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to people who've had weird experiences and, you know, some people say that the stuff even follows them home when they leave the ranch um, and they go to the ranch, experience something, and then they come back home and then uh, it's there waiting for them. You know, in, a, in that documentary, George Knapp even mentions that. Uh, Jeremy Corbell's documentary, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, I believe. Uh, at the end of the show, they're sitting around the bonfire. I think George Knapp says, well, I think it's about time to get out of here. I want to make sure that nothing follows me home or, or something along those lines. So it's a, it's a very real thing, you know, and that would be, I think, my number one concern is going to the ranch and then uh, the ranch coming back home with me. Yeah, it's, it is real. And uh, I believe, I'm a 100% believer of this hitchhiker type of thing. Um, I go back and forth, you know, but the trouble is there again, at what number of coincidences does it stop being coincidence? Because um, I, I've told people, you know, before the ranch, I was a businessman. I was, I was a, I was involved very heavily in a lot of community, you know, the economic development board, the rotary club, my local political party, um, those type of things. I'm heavily involved. And, and so you go out to the ranch and then suddenly you come home and strange things start happening. So the logical side of me says, well, you know, you go buy a white Jeep and the next day you see a hundred white Jeeps. It's like, you know, they didn't go out and buy a hundred white Jeeps last night. It's just that you just started to be more aware. And so part of it is I have, the, the hard thing is, is how much of this was just going on before and I just didn't notice it because that's not where my focus was at. How much of it is occurring because of the hitchhiker effect? Um, I will say that I've reached the point now that, that I'm beyond denying the, the hitchhiker effect. We've had, some, we've had some fairly serious incidents happen at our house where, um, you know, we, we talk about Mick and his evidence uh, things like I, I shared on Twitter a while back, uh, a time coming, I came home from the ranch and my car windows all rolled themselves down at the same time as my surveillance camera took itself down. Hmm. Now to provide evidence to him, I know, I know for a fact, cause I went in, I was, I took a shower, like Mike, I only have one key fob for my car, only one. And I have a BMW and, uh, and in order to roll the windows down, that key fob has to be close. Um, and it wasn't in my pocket. It wasn't like it was sitting on my little nightstand thing there, untouched. I've been home for 45 minutes. It was cold outside. It was like 11 below zero. And my son comes and knocks on the door after I'd been home for about 45 minutes. Said, Dad, you'd, all your windows are down on your car. I go out. Sure enough, I try to roll them up. I have to go, you know, I have to get the key, go roll the windows up. I immediately go upstairs to my camera system to figure out what's going on. I have, I, you know, I have uh, eight cameras on that system. And out of eight cameras, that 
that one camera is the only camera that went down. I think it went down for three minutes. And when it comes back up, the windows are down. Now, I can't prove evidence-wise that that key was sitting on my nightstand. I cannot prove that, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have my kids turn the camera off and orchestrate it. But I know, like, 100%. I'm the only one that had the password to the DVR and I know I didn't turn the camera off and I know that I didn't roll the car windows down and it's interesting this is one of those things where I appreciated the criticism I put it out on Twitter and and I didn't even know that my car had this feature you hold the unlock button long enough and the car will roll all the windows down okay so that solved part of the mystery it is possible the car has that function the only problem is is that the key fob, which it takes to do that, was sitting on the nightstand untouched. Nobody touched, you know, nobody touched that key fob. But we're going back to a simple RF. You know, it's interesting. All the all these anomalies we're seeing on the ranch that are coming back to these radio frequencies. Well, that's all the key fob is is a radio frequency to the car, and so it, somehow yep. that car rolled its windows down. I didn't do it. The key fob didn't do it. That is undisputable. Now, as far as proving that to the world, there's too many, too many loopholes, you know. I could have easily pushed that in my bedroom. I could have easily gone upstairs and turned the camera off and I could have staged the whole thing. There's no way to prove that I didn't, but I know. And so now that's why I say, I believe in the hitchhiker effect, 100%. My kids will tell you they believe, my wife, my, my extended family, they've all witnessed it. It's, it's, it has to be real. Yeah, no, I, I believe it 100%. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, it's because when I was growing up, I had many similar experiences. So, and that's uh, part of the reason why I'm here, you know, uh, trying to find out what's going on. Uh, and I don't know if we'll ever really find out the truth, but, you know, we might come a little bit closer and have a little bit better understanding and develop a better relationship with the all the crazy phenomenon that, that we see. So... I know we're coming up at about an hour, so I wanted to ask you one more question. Uh, if you had a theory that you think explains what's going on in the ranch, what is it? What do you think is happening? I think Skinwalker Ranch is the perfect storm, being that I think that it is a culmination of cultural, uh, you know, this curse maybe some geology and some geography, the topography, the location of the ranch. Um, and I will just say that uh, I think that I'm open-minded to the theory that there may be some ancient technological device that is buried somewhere below the ranch um, that could be uh, emitting some of this. And the honest truth is, is I, and I've been asked this so many times, I should have a better prepared answer, but I, the truth is I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, hey, I want to thank yeah. you for taking the time to, to join me this evening. It's been an awesome conversation. It's always fun to talk to people like you who are there, uh, get it straight from, you know, the guys who are, who are living it every day. Uh, thanks for answering my questions. I'm sure you get asked about all these things all the time, but uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I, pray, I appreciate being given the chance to, 
to uh, further discuss it. It's nice to finally be on or be where we can open up and talk about this. For four years, I haven't been able to say a word. And even with the show now, I think I appreciate opportunities like this even more because I think the show, while it shows a lot and it explains a lot, it also opens up a lot of questions. And so it's nice to be able to come on and further expound on things. So I appreciate the time. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Patriot Media Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, and consider being a donor. If you donate to the show, it helps me grow the podcast to reach more people just like you. And also, I will give 10% of each donation back to homeless veterans. Thanks for listening.